World's Finest Podcast, Episode 43. As always, I'm Michael Sims, and with me is James Doe. How are you? Um. Well, let's see. I have procrastinated as as I always do, and I have a paper left due at 10 a.m. tomorrow, and uh, I'm not even hardly even started it yet. <laughs> so, uh, don't which is yeah. It's just it's just you know the way I am. I work better under pressure. So I'll probably get it done by staying up all night tonight. <laughs> yeah, as I just said a second ago, I definitely do not miss those days at all. Oh, oh. It's, it's funny because as I've said on the show before, of course, you know, I work at a college, so I see everybody scrambling mm-hmm. this week of the semester, <laughs> and they are just going crazy like, oh, my God, I wrote 30 pages this past Sunday. This and that, and it's like, and you know, they're, they're justifying it to me. Like, it's not like I wasn't working the whole semester. I really was. I was writing 20 pages a week. And I'm like, I, I don't care. You know? <laughs> like, okay, you're, you're scrambling. Good for you. I remember how it was. You know, I'm not so old that I don't remember, you know? <laughs> <laughs> oh. I was going to make a Dan Tolan joke, but I'll, uh, I'll forego it. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Hi, Dan. Is, someone else is uh, someone celebrating a birthday soon. You, so yeah, you're, you're aging too. We all yeah. do. <laughs> yeah, but I I still look like I'm in my teens. It's <laughs> it's like it's weird. Yeah, whereas I was able to buy cigarettes when I was like 15. You know, <laughs> I always get older, and now that I have a beard, it doesn't help. You know, I swear uh, to God, when Jen and I go out, we get weird looks, and I really think people think. I'm either like a sugar daddy, and if they think that, that's that's a joke, or I'm like some old skeevy perv, you know, that, that's picked up some younger girl, because Jen, of course, looks younger, and I look older, so we're always getting these looks, and I'm like, I'm, I'm nine months older than her, stop it! <laughs> yeah, no, it's like my friend's girlfriend, uh, Her, he has to shop for her at... Uh, like in the kids department of stores uh, because she her, of her figure and she has to buy or he has to buy shoes for her at Journey Kids. <laughs> so it's like he goes in there like, oh I got to get some shoes for my girlfriend and they're like they they raise the eyebrow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> mhm. He's got a copy of Lolita in his back pocket, you know. Oh yeah. <laughs> Anyways, enough of that. Let's just get some emails. Yeah, let's do that. This conversation is getting weird. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right, first one today is from Nick, who writes, Hey, Mike and James, on episode 41, a uh, great discussion on who should pick up the mantle after the atrocious R.I.P. storyline ends. I'm on the Tim Drake bandwagon, but wouldn't mind Dick Grayson, which happened in the Batman Prodigal graphic uh, graphic novel, which I'm interested in reading. Jason Todd, no, but my brother claims that he could become the new Joker. About the Grayson's demise, I was kind of looking forward to it, but back, looking back on it, it could have been another melodramatic version of a DC hero, especially since the drama queen has come back into Clark's life. 
I'm dreading a character decline since Season 8 of Smallville has been good so far. Proactive Clark and Metropolis, Lois and Clark having feelings for each other, Davis's progression to Doomsday, and inevitably Chloe becoming Brainiac. Mm. Sucks we have to wait till January for the second half with the Legion of Superheroes, which follows the premise of the new kids in town, but instead of Brainiac, the Fatal Five come to kill Kal-El. On Ascension, James, I, James and I see eye to eye. What a waste of Terry's main adversary. Truly the Lex Luthor of Batman with superpowers. On Joyride, I'm 100% with you. Forgettable. Mike, on music, he's crazy. Hmm. Oh, yeah, because I made some comment that... I think in Joyride, I made some comment about the music really sucking, didn't I? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, I'm going to stand by it. I, I don't remember the music at all. I just remember it was bad. <laughs> yeah, and I, I don't remember it either because I was just so... Uh, yeah, never mind. Th- yeah. That episode sucked. <laughs> uh, P.S. Hopefully episode 42 is better with Lost Soul and Carl Lumbly, a.k.a. Martian Manhunter, as the stalker who owns Craven the Hunter. Better backstory and overall better villain. Ooh, that is going to get some flames, I got to tell you. I'm not going to comment. I haven't read too many uh, Craven the Hunter stories, but... I know some people at the forums who do like Craven, so... <laughs> I'm with you, Nick. Can't stand him. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, boy. Remember, Mike didn't say that. That was James and Nick. <laughs> uh-huh. Anyway, next one is from Marcellus, who writes, In the listener email section of episode 42, you two discuss who could possibly play Catwoman. Personally, I think Kate Beckinsale would do a great portrayal. And I'm not just saying that because she played a similar badass femme fatale character in Underworld. I honestly think she would be the best Selena Kyle. There is a gentleman on the forums by the name of DW who loves you right now. <laughs> yes. Next email is from um, Joseph. I'm well, sorry. Hey, let, me, yeah. let, me, let me jump in there. Okay. Um, I came up last time. Wasn't I struggling to come up with who should play Catwoman? Yeah, I was too. I couldn't and think of anybody. I finally came up with one. I finally came up with one. Selma Blair. Hmm. The reason I, I, I'm getting behind her um, is because it's Selma Blair. But the other reason <laughs> is because I think she could play it no matter how they wrote the role. If they decided to go with the prostitute side, which is the way she was portrayed in Batman Year One, I think she could do that, that kind of down and gritty kind of street-level role. But if they decided to play her as the kind of high-class cat burglar, I think she could do that, too. And neither, in, in neither way would she have to play it as the over-the-top, um, Michelle Pfeiffer, Hal Berry type way. And I, cause I can't stand the Michelle Pfeiffer Catwoman, and I can't even comment about the Hal Berry one. But, uh, I think she would know to restrain herself in that role, no matter how they wrote it. And like I said, I, I think she'd be a perfect casting either way. I was just thinking of, uh, some people may like this, some people may not, but I think somebody who could probably do a good, uh, Selena Kyle is Olivia Wilde from House MD. Oh, who is she on there? She, I've she plays thirteen. Episodes. She plays thirteen. Thir- thirteen. The oh, Doctor Hadley. Okay. Um, Why is she called thirteen? Yeah, because she's apparently a very secretive person and rarely divulges personal information about herself, and okay. everybody just calls her thirteen. Okay. But it's, okay. It's it's, it's kind of strange, but yeah, it. But I I think she might be able to do a good job. Just, yeah, I, just a thought. I, uh, I'll have to catch one uh, when, when when there's a rerun on USA or something because I've I really have never seen much of House, so I don't know who that is. See, moving on to the next one is from Joseph, who writes, "Hey guys, another great job on episode 42, and I really enjoyed the episodes I got on on DVD of the episodes that you were talking about." 
uh, there's one great one about Once Burned. Uh, the voice of the Royal Flesh Gang's uh, queen character is Sarah Douglas, who was um, uh, who played Ursa in uh, Superman the movie oh, and wow. Superman Two. She also played the Queen uh, Teramis from Conan the Destroyer. Sorry if I mispronounced that. <laughs> and she also voiced Mala on the Superman... Oh, God. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The less said about absolute power, the better. Yes. The only thing missing from the episode, uh, Blast from the Past, to ha- is to have a third criminal from the Phantom Zone and face Superman on the city streets, an homage to Superman 2 and the Superman 2 Donner cut. And the scene you talk about uh, Terry and Melanie on the bed kissing, I was like, I wonder what happened if the people making the series will make an uncut version of the series. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Yes. Uh, um, I, speaking of that, at the forums, I took a lot of shit for my zero um, th- that I gave that, that episode, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm sticking by that. Um, I really don't see that grade changing when we do our uh, Batman Beyond retrospective. What will that be? Episode 50, I think it is. Um, Somewhere around there. I I just don't see it happening at all. So I'm sorry if you didn't like the fact that I gave it a zero because, you know, I feel Terry cheated on his girlfriend. I think that's character assassination. But, yeah, I really don't see me changing that. I really don't. And and look at it this way. Even if you... Ignore that. There's the whole thing with Terry uh, causing the shootout to occur. And then look at the rest of the episode. There's not really anything in that episode to, re- to recommend it by anyway. So no, you really could have given it a zero just even if that <laughs> never happened. Yeah, at best, that would have been a four or five, I think. I gave it a two. Yeah, and when you start factoring in those other things, it brings it down. It really does. Um but I don't want to. I don't want to start this whole thing all over again. So moving on. <laughs> moving on to Eric's email, who writes, "Okay, here's an off-the-wall question for you. What, in your opinion, would make a great live-action Batman Beyond film? Uh, who do you think would be good playing old Bruce, like say Adam West or Michael Keaton, and Terry McGinnis? Do you think uh, Dinah Meyer from Birds of Prey, who played Barbara, should come back as an?" old Barbara Gordon, or Yvonne Craig, the 60s Barbara. Like Storyline-wise, I'm not going to get into it, because I would just say, you know what, adapt Return of the Joker, really. Please do. There you go. <laughs> um, but when it comes to Bruce, Barbara, and Terry, here's who I would cast. For Bruce, I'm sorry, I'm going to kind of go the easy route, um, and that's Clint Eastwood. He's grizzled, the dude is ancient, he looks like he's been there. You know what I mean? I mean, this looks like a dude who has been there, done that. Uh, you know, if you, you look at the, the, the wrinkles and the, like, just the lines on his face, and you know that he has seen battles, and that would be perfect for old Bruce. Okay? That is awesome. I, I never would have thought of Clint, but that is, that is so awesome. For old Barbara, Glenn Close. Hmm. I fell in love with her when she was um, on The Shield. She did one season on The Shield, and she was a badass. She was taking it to Mackie. And so right there, there's there's your Barbara. And what's great is if you go with the actual ages, Clint was born in 1930, and Glenn Close was born in 47. They're both older, but there's a good age gap, a 17-year age gap between them, which is round about, you know, you could say that's round about the age gap between Bruce and uh, Barbara. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now for uh, Terry, here's where I have a little trouble. I'm not. I'm not going to cast a Terry who's in high school, uh, mostly because I don't know a lot of actors around about that age. I would go with Email Hirsch. I think is that's the pronunciation. Who played Speed and Speed Racer? 
Hmm. Now, I haven't seen Speed Racer, but I've seen him in other things. And he can do comedy. He can do the darker moments, the real drama. He's a really solid, young, up-and-coming actor. And then in terms of the Joker, I know exactly who I want. And he's already done this type of role where he had to go from sort of your average guy to a psychopath. And that's James Nesbitt, who was the star of Jekyll. And it's exactly what it sounds like. It's a modern-day Jekyll and Hyde story. Huh. If, if anybody hasn't seen it, go see it. it. You can Netflix it. It was a six-episode-long British TV show. Don't think it got canceled. It was just six episodes long. That's all the story needed was six episodes. Rent it. It's two discs. It's awesome. And Nesbitt is so perfect. Because seriously, you don't even recognize him when he changes into Hyde. They do change his hair a little. You know, they, they, when he's uh, Dr. Jackman, his hair is a little thinner, and they do play with it a little when he's Hyde. Um, but his whole face changes. His whole body seems to change. And I really don't think they're doing any serious makeup effects on him at all. But just personality-wise, the way he plays Hyde is how I would like to see the Joker, where he's sort of fun-loving, but it's that menacing fun-loving. Uh, for Terry, uh, this is a cop-out, but Will Friedel. I'm, I'm not joking. Just, <laughs> I've never seen him, so I couldn't say if he had the right look. Because for all I know, he's a 500-pound dude. You know what I mean? No, he's definitely not. But okay, I, okay. I've seen him. I, he could he could do it. Okay. Um, I I love your idea of Clint. Um, my my idea would be Michael Ironside. Yeah. Okay. Sure. Sure. See, for me, I was just going for that ancient Bruce. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. The one where he's yeah. impossibly old. But you yeah. mean in the epilogue, Bruce? Well, not quite epilogue Bruce, because epilogue Bruce is so broken down, yeah. you know, but somewhere between Batman Beyond and epilogue, right about there. Because mind you, I, I picked a Terry that was in his 20s and not high school. Right. So, you know, so we're not going with exact ages here. Mm-hmm. Now, Barbara, that's a tricky one, because I there's just not all that many um, older female actresses I'm familiar with, so... You'll have to give me some time, and maybe on our next episode I can offer some thoughts on that one. Come on, guys. You know you're avoiding the rest of the Batman films. The plot holes in Batman are hilarious, and yes, you opened my eyes to them. But when I watch the film, I see some pretty good acting, mainly from Keaton and Nicholson, and a rather dark atmosphere. Not to mention being able to sit down and remember my childhood. However, the rants can begin with Batman Returns. Ugh. When I made up a character like Mac, or when a made-up character like Max Shrek, Christopher Walken becomes more interesting than the already established characters, you got a problem. Not to mention the ever-changing look of Gotham City. Should we drop the hint? Okay, I'll, I'll just outright say it. James, Ian, and myself, we have recorded our thoughts about Batman Returns. Here's a promise: Christmas Day, you'll hear that. <laughs> that will be. It's a Christmas movie. It does take place over Christmas. So I will release that on Thursday, the 25th of December on earth2.net. That's a promise. What a Christmas present, huh? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's, either, it's either a present or a piece of coal. You decide. <laughs> I'm sure I'm, for us it was probably the coal. For everybody else, it's going to be the present. They'll, they'll enjoy uh, maybe you may or may not having bashed your head. I'm not going to say anything. We won't, say, we won't spoil it. We won't spoil anything. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, Mike, fuck the spammers. If any spammers are listening, get a life and stop screwing up things for the ones who really want to join the forums. Okay, I'm calm now. Let me let me chime in there. Uh, the issue has been resolved, um, and registration has been turned back on. So if you do want to join the Earth2.net forums, 
feel free to join. Just go to earth2.net. There is a link on the left-hand side of the page. Click that. That'll take you to the forums, and then you can register, and you can join in on the discussion about WFP, the other earth2.net podcasts, or anything you want. In terms of the Joker's favorite episode where the Joker gives Charlie the gas mask, you have to remember that Charlie cussed out the Joker. I don't think he has forgotten that, so he uses Charlie and that as a last laugh, and he makes sure that Charlie lives until the explosion. Mm, Okay, sure. It always did piss me off that we never saw Dick Grayson in Batman Beyond. We have a couple of references in the show and the Return of the Joker movie, but that's it. I wonder why. I, you know, there's a part of me that would like to hope that maybe they had some Dick Grayson thing in production. So he was, I don't know, the the, the likeness, the character, whatever, was under, I don't know, license elsewhere. I mean, maybe they were trying to get the Teen Titans cartoon off the ground. At the time, I, I don't know. It sucks, but that's just the way it is. Mm-hmm. I do love WFP. It would be nice if you guys did a, did a podcast on The Simpsons. Do you guys have about five years to kill with the podcast? <laughs> uh, we might do we might do to half of season ten, and that'd be about it. Uh, um, okay. Um, in case you guys aren't aware, um, I, I've started a new podcast that will run roughly until 2016. Um, it's a Doctor Who-themed podcast. It's called Bigger on the Inside. Um, <laughs> so between WFP, Earth2.net, the show, Bigger on the Inside, I, I really don't have the time for a Simpsons podcast right now. <laughs> anyway, back to the email here. Uh, on Disappearing Inc., seeing the very last bat suit Bruce had was cool, and like Terry said, Batman would never let a little thing like a heart problem stop him from being Batman. This episode actually makes me wonder if whether uh, whether or not the beginning of Rebirth was Bruce's last fight. Hey, the police officer that interrupted Inc. and that guy looks like the owner of the company that the guy was fired from. I guess the animators were getting lazy there. <laughs> well, actually, there's actually a, a, a character who reappears here from a previous episode in one of the episodes we're going to talk about today. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, okay. But we'll get to that. Um, the episode wasn't terrible. The animation seemed off, and the character of Ink could have been used better. Uh, we also see a similar part of the story that we saw of the one of the Mr. Freeze episodes in uh, BTAS, where the old scientist wanted to be like Mr. Freeze. Kind of lame. The way Batman escapes Ink's grip is also very similar to the way Batman got away from Clayface in the original BTAS. Once again, we get another opportunity for a villain to find out Batman's identity, and they don't take it. I mean, exactly. come, yeah, I mean, come on. She had him tied up and didn't even think to look. It was awesome to hear the classic BTAS theme while seeing Bruce in the suit again. Not a bad episode, but a bit rushed and takes several old ideas. Yes, James, I do think that the father-grandfather line was a foreshadowing to epilogue. I enjoyed seeing Terry being protective of Bruce when he finds out that Ink has escaped. It shows that he has started to really care for the guy. Of course, seeing Bruce ineffective was funny. And James, it doesn't matter if the cop is black or white. Well, it, it does if he switches from black to white back to black or whatever or if it was white to black to white yeah it, <laughs> it kind of does, does matter right yeah it, it doesn't matter if the character was white or black as you said it but be consistent with it yeah <laughs> the first time we see him if he's white he should be white the next time we see him can you imagine if barbara gordon was white the first time we saw her and then she was black the next with no explanation that's a problem <laughs> or you know like uh harvey dent being black and then suddenly becoming Tommy. oh i'm sorry um never mind <laughs> Nice. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> the reference, Mike, that you made about why Ink is affected differently than Aaron could just be that Ink is already affected. Maybe the formula is made for her body chemistry and Aaron's is a bit different. Um, yeah, but it's doing the opposite things was my problem. It's turning him into gunk, but it's supposed to fix her. That That's what I didn't understand there. 
there was a line he said about he she only gave him half the treatment, but I don't know. But again, that goes back to the mood of the wolf thing. Yeah. okay on ascension i really don't care for the blight character he's boring but here it goes the first thing i noticed here is that one of blight's lackeys looks like metamorpho or whatever the guy's name is in jlu it also seems really careless how terry keeps overturning and causing barrels filled with god knows what to explode without uh seeming to try and be careful and in the meeting scene we see a flaw in animation when focusing on bruce the first time thank you james now i'm noticing animation flaws (laughs) Oh, jeez, is Terry Brand did? He thought that giving Blight bat cuffs would subdue him. <laughs> I don't really like the fact that they introduced Powers as a main villain type and seemed to quickly get rid of him so quick, or seemed to get rid of him that quickly. Was the fan reaction so bad they wanted to lose him? I agree. I loved seeing the bat signal used again, even if it was made by Paxton. An awesome callback. Still, this was a terrible way to end the first season. And enjoy ride. <laughs> Why would you start season two with the Jokers? <laughs> anyway, what we get here is a filler episode and not even a good one. So far, the episode is this is the worst. Yep. I'm not going to say much about this episode. The animation seemed more flawed in areas. The Jokers are still annoying. How did Mark Hamill feel about this concept, I wonder? The new characters shown are uninteresting, not to mention Batman reasoning with one of the Jokers and, uh, and saying please to the tease. Oh, my God. I'm surprised we didn't hear Bruce chewing his ass out for that. At that moment, he was fucking with Batman's legend so much. We didn't even see Bruce in this one, in the first episode not to have the original Batman in it. Just sucks. If you guys rate this higher than a one, then you're sugarcoating it. <laughs> Don't worry. We graded it a one. And Splicers. Okay, well, here here we see another connection to the original series. And in, in, on Leather Wings, its sequel and Tiger Tiger, all terrible. We've, uh, we've seen the early days of mixing animal DNA with humans. Now it has gone, 50, gone on for 50 years. Uh Watching this episode just makes me want to get on with uh, with the next five episodes in the next WFP. I want to get this episode over with. Better than the last episode, but, but still crap. James, when Barbara called Batman Terry, we see Batman calling... Uh, remember, we see Batman calling Superman Clark when he's fighting Darkseid slash Brainiac in Justice League. Kind of a cool parallel. Next email is from Sean, a new listener who writes, Hey, Mike and James, I just found your podcast uh, two days ago, and I have to say it's amazing. Thank you. I started episode one, and I'm up to 29 right now. I cheated and listened to your most recent one, and it hooked me, but I wanted to do this right. I have all the seasons of Batman and Superman on DVD, and I had started collecting the Justice League, but had no idea there were some fans out there that were even bigger than me. (laughs) These cartoons totally shaped my involvement in comics today. Since I'm listening through the podcast in order, forgive me if someone cover, had covered this already in an episode I haven't gotten to yet. In the Nightwing episode, You Scratch My Back, where Batman and Nightwing pull one over on Catwoman, there was some confusion about why Babs wasn't in on it and where the amount of tension between Dick and Barbara was coming from. Well, Dick and Barbara had this great relationship, but Robin and Batgirl were different. He always viewed her as a tag-along wannabe. Even when she proved herself, he always acted like she didn't quite know what she was doing. Add some sexual tension to that, and now a knowledge that both, uh, both identities know about each other, and I would be really surprised if there wasn't more attention. As far as why she wasn't in on it, Batman and Nightwing surely didn't trust her to play it as bitter about him telling the Bat family to shove it as they needed it to appear. Catwoman is incredibly intuitive, and they needed this ploy to appear as real as possible. Batman is the consummate actor. Look at how well he pulls off Bruce Wayne, the goofball party boy. And Nightwing spent years learning from him. Not only that, but Nightwing and Bat- uh, Batman have that history of bitterness between them, and it's not such a stretch for them to pull that off. Batgirl, on the other hand, is or was in love with Nightwing, and something she said or did may have given it away. I'm sure she could uh, could have no idea when Catwoman may or not, may not be watching. 
Yes, they used her, but that's Batman's M.O., anything to get the job done. I just don't see it being, uh, being as real if Barbara had to fake this suspicion. I actually think that's a good point about uh, why they didn't include uh, Barbara in on the ploy, because really, he's right. Who knows when Catwoman would have been listening in and all this and that, and they couldn't uh, risk the, 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 the plan not, not working. So, okay, cool, cool. Anyways, that's all I've got. You guys are fantastic, and your podcast definitely makes uh, inking going a lot, go on a lot faster. Keep up the great work. I'm looking forward to many, many more episodes to enjoy. On a parting note, Teen Titans, totally in continuity. Somebody probably made this argument already, but with DC's history of alternate Earths, I hold to the firm belief that Teen Titans is in continuity and takes place on a separate Earth with potential crossovers. Just listening to Tom vs. the Flash, or previously the JLA, shows just how readily DC used these alternate worlds in conjunction with each other. Keep it up, guys. Sean. P.S. On Joker's Millions, it is so unbelievable that a DC newspaper would run a headline <laughs> that Joker seeks a new hench girl. I mean, come on. He actually had a ghetto apartment that he paid rent for. If we can buy that, I can totally swallow that headline. Well, now, now how do we know he paid rent for it? Just because he was in there doesn't mean he paid rent for it. <laughs> yeah. The Joker. <laughs> you know, um... So yeah, I'm 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 sticking by the fact that no no respectable newspaper would run that headline. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, final one today is from John, who writes, guys. I wanted to let you know, uh, you and the other listeners know that a lot of the European versions of full-length Batman Beyond episodes can be found at MegaVideo.com. I've been able to keep up with the last two podcasts because of the site. Only once did I not find the episode I was looking for. I don't think there is any difference in the episodes other than the name, Batman of the Future, and the quality is surprisingly good. Also, Mike, I hated the conclusion to R.I.P. I want to rant more, but won't. Thanks, guys. John. Who are you? Where am I? No! Stay back! Don't be scared. They're my friends. My name is Patrick, and this is my world. You live here? I collect things that no one else wants. See? You might say I'm kind of a pack rat. <laughs> Would you like some jelly beans, Dana? How do you know my name? I know everything about you, Dana. That's why I brought you here. Well, folks, if you love rants, then you're in for a treat today. Uh, our first episode is called Rats, with an exclamation point. <laughs> um, this episode opens up with, uh, uh, it's in a restaurant where the girls are just hanging out, and there's a TV report that says Gotham's uh, quote-unquote secret shame is giant mutant rats hiding in the sewers. Right. Um, this... This, you know, Max, Dana, and Chelsea are eating this restaurant, and Dana is pissed at Terry even more so than usual. So when Terry arrives late at the restaurant they're all hanging out at, Dana leaves in a huff, but um, she finds a flower in her car with a note that says, I'll be there for you. Well, Dana thinks it's from Terry for some reason, and she calls him up later and tells, uh, tells him to meet her at this chili restaurant. Well, Terry eagerly agrees, and on his way there, he, of course, he has to go <laughs> off and save the day. <laughs> What's up? <laughs> I'll get into it when we're when we're talking about the episode. Sorry. Okay. So anyway, uh, he goes off to save the day as Batman, of course. And um, it should be noted that in between here, uh, Dana's father uh, insists to her that she not hang out with Terry because he has a criminal record. So anyway, back to the main storyline. Um, 
apparently Mad Stan, whom we haven't been uh, previously introduced to, is on the loose, and Batman has to stop him from blowing up a library. And Mike is losing his mind in the background here. <laughs> I love Mad Stan. I love Mad Stan, too. Oh, but but again, we'll get, I'm, I'm sorry, we'll I need to keep we'll interrupting get. you. I really don't. <laughs> okay. I, that's okay. Um, Dana waits and waits and waits uh, while Terry's getting his ass kicked by Henry Rollins, and um, eventually she just leaves. But as she's walking off, she finds another flower uh, laying in the street with the same note as before. Well, some giant mutant rats attack her, and later she wakes up in the sewer, surrounded by a collection of miscellaneous junk, kind of like the Little Mermaid. We find out that this mutant rat boy named Patrick uh, has brought her here to add to his collections of things that no one wants. Well, the giant rats show up again, but uh, Patrick says he can control them, and they're his friends, and so on and so forth. And he calls them off. So back at Terry's house, uh, Terry calls Dana and leaves a message on her voicemail. She's obviously not answering. Um, when Dana's father starts pounding at his door, demanding to know where she is, since she never came home last night. Well, Terry is aghast because he didn't know she was missing at all. Uh, he thought she just went home. Uh, Dana's father says if anything happens to her, he'll pretty much kill Terry, and he leaves. Terry then goes off to look for Dana as Batman, and while back in the sewer, uh, Dana here learns that Patrick ran away because people made fun of him. I can't imagine why. <laughs> Dana offers to take Patrick uh, up to the surface for some chili, but he refuses and makes her stay in the sewer while he goes to get the chili. He also warns her not to wander off because it could be dangerous. Well, after he leaves, Dana finds a flashlight and wanders off, passing by a toxic waste pool, which is presumably the source of these giant rats. Well, Dana eventually winds up in a tunnel with thousands of rats about to eat her alive, uh, but Patrick shows up in the nick of time and gets them away from her. So back at his lair, Dana, who's who's fallen into numerous uh, pools of sewage and her dress has been just torn asunder, uh, starts yelling at Patrick for kidnapping her which angers him, and he then reveals that this is not the first time he's done this. Uh, everybody else he's brought down there has acted the same as Dana, and it's pretty much inferred that he's had the rats eat them alive. And Batman then shows up, having trailed Patrick from the chili restaurant, and he gets Dana out of there, but as they're flying away, uh, this, Dana made this like torch out of a hockey stick and a rag, uh, and she, she was using it to defend herself, and... It gets knocked out of her hands, and it falls into the toxic waste pool, igniting it and causing a gargantuan explosion, which presumably kills Rat Boy and all the giant rats. Well, next we see Dana sitting in an ambulance, and Terry arrives, trying to apologize, but she'll hear none of it. She just cries, hugs Terry, and takes her home. Fuck me sideways on Christmas Eve. I hate this episode so fucking much. But it's got Mad Stan! <laughs> He is the only reason this episode is not getting a zero. I'm I'm telling you that right now. <laughs> have you seen my? Have you seen my uh the, the, my uh, uh my custom title at the forums? No, I haven't. Go, go over to the forums and I'll, I'll just say it. Okay, so I got my little avatar and underneath it, it now says "Free Mad Stan." <laughs> oh, oh God! I, um, look, I like. The, you, you go ahead. You go on your yeah. Own. Yeah, I like. I like that Dana is super pissed at Terry because really, why why shouldn't she be? But they never follow up on this ever. In two episodes, Dana is right back to schmoozing with Terry in Revenant. If you're going to have them break up, fucking keep it that way for a considerable amount of time. 
and have every fucking scene they're in together, like at school, just be on edge and so silent that you can cut the tension with a knife. Now, you look at John Stewart's and Shaira's relationship in Justice League. They built it up over 52 episodes. And then when they broke up shortly after finally consummating their relationship, they were at odds for the entire rest of the JLU timeline. It was awesome. And then and f- think about how tense it got after John went to the future and found out that he and Shaira had a son together. But at the time, he was with Vixen. Mm-hmm. Think about how tense it was then. I'm and sorry, f- I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, no, by all means, that's fine. Uh, and furthermore, this rat boy guy says that no one wants Dana, and that's why he brought her to his lair. First off, she has a father who obviously cares for her well-being, and she has several friends at school. Just because Terry stands her up does not mean that no one wants her. If he was stalking her, and he was, he would have seen that. His logic is pitiful at best. And furthermore, if everyone he's kidnapped like this has acted the way Dana did, and really, why wouldn't they? Then why does he act surprised when Dana mouths off to him? This guy is a fucking idiot. This episode blows goats for quarters, and I hand the floor over to Mike. (laughs) Next up, mind games. (laughs) I can't top it. I just can't top it. Oh, oh. speaking of uh, podcasts and all this and that, I think Tranquil Tirade needs to be a podcast. But anyways. (laughs) It has been discussed. (laughs) Oh, you know what? I, I didn't see a lot of the things that uh, you're mentioning uh, the first time I saw this, that being uh, this afternoon. Uh, But now that you mention them, I'm sitting there thinking about it, and I'm like, yeah, James has got a lot of good points there. I think I'm going to scratch out my score and change it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I'm not as anti this episode as you are. Um, Oh. But, yeah, that still doesn't mean I was crazy about this one. Um, Because where I think this episode failed the most was with Patrick. Because they had this opportunity to make this really sympathetic character. And then, in the last couple of minutes, as they were leading up to the climax, they simply turned him into a kill-em-all type villain. He went from being the kind of... Well, not kind of... From the deformed killer croc man bat like character that you could sympathize with him because you could sympathize with this guy at first, you know. Um, at least I, I thought you could. I mean, we, we've all been outcasts at one point in our lives or another, so mm-hmm. you can see where he's coming from there. But then it they okay, fine, we start to realize he's a little mad, he's not quite right in the head. Okay, you can still sort of sympathize with him a little, but then seriously, by the end. It's, he's, he's just an asshole. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he almost backhanded Dana. He, he had her by the arm and he lifted his hand to backhand her, but then Batman zipped in and just speared him and knocked him into a wall or a pile of something. I don't even know, but you summed it up correctly. He just turns into a complete asshole by the end of it. And all the good they did in making that character sympathetic in the beginning was just flushed down the toilet. I'm sorry for the pun. <laughs> uh, what else do you want to say about this one? Uh, why there's? I just have so many just little things about this. Why would Dana go to meet Terry at that little hole in the wall restaurant in that dress? That's what I was laughing at when you what were mentioning the, the children. Fuck? 
she she's like, I'll wear that dress you like. And Terry's like, ooh, ooh, nice. And next mm-hmm. time they show her, she's in this like really pretty dress with this shawl and everything. And they're meeting at like Ralph's Chili or whatever yeah. it was called. <laughs> That's basically what it is. It's like you're in downtown Cincinnati or something. Exactly. It's just your little on the corner chili shop and she's in this. She looks okay. Uh, what's the episode coming up? Uh, is it mind games where uh, Max and Terry are all dressed up and they're sitting in the restaurant spying on that so-called family? Yes. That I, think, be, yeah. I think that's mind games. Right. That's, the way Dana was dressed is if she was going to that restaurant with Max and Terry mm-hmm. and not a chili joint. I'm going to put on a tuxedo to go to McDonald's. That's that. That's what was going on here, people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, furthermore on that, you know, if if Dana was my daughter, first off, I'd never let her go anywhere in that dress. But secondly, I'd have the cops at Terry's house grilling him as to where as to her whereabouts. I wouldn't just burst into his house, threaten him and then leave with no resolution. Yeah. I mean, I'll they were. I like. This. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's. I don't know. Dana. I'm fumbling <laughs> over my words here. I'm so. I hate this episode so much. But at the very beginning of the episode, um, when Dana Dana leaves the restaurant in a huff, Chelsea stops Terry from going after, her and she says, "Uh, uh-uh, uh, girl time." And he, she walks off as if to go talk to her, and she never talks to her. Yeah. That's right. I didn't even realize that because then Dana's at the car, isn't she? Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> and I'd love to. Know, I'd love to know how one flower causes that big of a mood swing. She's all pissed off, and then she just sees this flower that she doesn't know. Who, she really does not know who it came from. She just assumes it's Terry. And she's like, "Oh, I'll forgive him again." <laughs> yeah, and, and next time I see him, I'm gonna put on my fuck me dress before we eat some chili. <laughs> <laughs> Um, speaking of Dana, though, I want to say I think she has every right to be mad at Terry. I think I've said this previously oh, yeah, on the show. He's blowing her off all the time. He's running late. He can never give her a straight answer. However, Terry, okay, he is lying to her. I'm not saying he's not doing that. But keep in mind that he is getting paid to be Batman. Bruce has to pay him something to give up the ruse that Terry is his assistant. Okay? Yep. Mm-hmm. So he does have a job. What that job is, of course, that's what he's lying about. But he says to Dana, look, I have to help my mom and brother out. And she doesn't want to hear any of it. And I thought that made her a bit unsympathetic. Yep. I mean, again, she still has every right to be mad. She is getting blown off. Yes, he's not being completely honest with her. She can't even tell he's not being completely honest with her. But at the same time, he legit is helping out his mother and brother. It's in continuity. His dad's only been dead maybe six months, maybe nine at most. You know, mm-hmm. things are still going to be rough for him, for his family. But she just doesn't want any of it. And I really wish they wouldn't have thrown that line in there where he had said, hey, I'm trying to help with my family. Because... It makes her seem... Yeah, it doesn't fit in with the rest of the, the dialogue. Because right. when he says that, it's sort of like, oh, oh, Dana, just listen to him. He's not that bad. Ex- <laughs> like, except no, except for his one little indiscretion. <clears throat> yes, of course. <laughs> uh, what, what else do you want to say about this one? I feel I really should just hand the floor over to you. <laughs> well, oh, but like I was saying in the email, the, the guy... That was used in the previous episode. the The guy on the train, 
was the same guy from Hidden Agenda. Um, so it, it had to be. It was the same exact character model. Oh, was it? Okay. Yeah. Um, there was something else I want to say. Oh, we got Bippo the monkey again in the sewer. Remember from Monkey Fun or whatever the name of that Superman episode was that you kind of liked? Oh, yeah. Well, there was a monkey in the sewer? Oh, uh, the, oh the, the doll. The doll. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah. Oh, okay. Let's just talk about Mad Stan because right now I'm, I'm, I'm just pissed off and I need to laugh. <laughs> Mad Stan. I love him. Mad Stan is so awesome. <laughs> uh, okay. Here's the thing. He sort of has a point. You know, and it's hard for me to admit this because, uh, you know, I run a website that produces, you know, mini podcasts every week, right? right? So I'm contributing to the problem that Mad Stan is ranting against, mm-hmm. but I just see what he's saying. We are a culture that is drowning in information between television and cable television and radio and satellite radio and podcasts and news streams and websites and just everything. There's always information hitting you in the face. I mean, there's now billboards that aren't even static images anymore. They're computerized, you know, where for 10 seconds you see this image and for the next 10 seconds it's a whole new advertisement. Um, when you walk in front of some buildings, they have those, uh, uh, what are they called? Shoot, shoot, shoot. Like, you know how at the bottom of CNN they have that scroll? The ticker? Yeah. Oh, you're right. Yeah, there's the ticker on, on buildings. Whenever I drop Jenny off at work, there's a ticker on her building. I can't even drop my girlfriend off and give her a hug goodbye without seeing some form of news. Okay, speaking of the news, let's get back to the cable news media, right? Look mm-hmm. at CNN. Not only are they giving you the news stories, but there's the ticker at the bottom, there's stock numbers, there's some other shit on the side. Sometimes even during the commercials, they're still running the ticker. (laughs) Oh my God, Mike, I swear to God, you are reciting almost word for word one of my favorite (laughs) Lewis Black rants. It's great. (laughs) He just talks about, it talks exactly what you're talking about right now. There's shit here and there's shit here and then there's like a rabbit fucking something in the side of the screen. It's like, it's great. (laughs) Well, Henry Rollins was perfect for, for him because Henry Rollins is something of an anarchist himself, but that's which is which is fine. I mean, I'm part of. There's some like I have some uh, similar beliefs with anarchists. Not a, of course, not total anarchy. I recognize I recognize the need for a government and for news to be out there. But um, yeah, you're right. He does make some great points, and his I think his character was based off of Rollins' character in Johnny Mnemonic. Okay. Um, I don't know if you ever saw the movie, but his character Spider was pretty much. It's Mad Stan. It's exactly the same. So, um, but yeah, I I love Henry Rollins. He's he's just one of my favorite personalities out there. You know, and I I, I don't know. I just love his looks. Yeah, going in, I had never seen Mad Stan before. Ever. Me neither. So, but I knew of him. But I'm like, I I just didn't think I was gonna like him. You know, and he's on the screen for maybe two, two and a half, three minutes most. You know, and I instantly fell in love with that character. I mean, he put a bomb on Batman's face. Yep. He put a bomb <laughs> on Batman's face, people. It's <laughs> 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 awesome. And then they mention him. We don't even see him again. They just mention him again in an episode down the line. I was like, yeah, Mad Stan. He got referenced. Woo. <laughs> well, we see him uh, in. Oh God! Does that does that happen in this in our WFP today? No, 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 it doesn't. It's in our. It'll be on our next episode. Yeah. Okay, he comes back. All right. <laughs> yeah. 
Oh man, it, I I do I do I love the Mad Stan character and the, my first really the first I'd heard of Mad Stan was from the forums. Um, some of the people, uh, some of the forum members were talking about how great a character he was and like, okay, this uh, it seems like I'm being set up to be let down, but not at all. It he really was what everybody was saying he was. He's awesome. Yeah, I'm really hoping I, I'm, it's probably going to turn out to be exactly what I don't want, but I'm really hoping he doesn't become the focal point villain of an episode. I really hope he's just that villain that's just popping up in the background, causing a little havoc that Batman has to just go kick the shit out of for a few minutes. You know, the villain, we don't have to take that seriously. Um, Mm -hmm. But I I have a sinking suspicion that we are going to see him become the focal point, right? Um, The next episode he appears in, he's he's a focal point of the plot but not in the way that you're talking about now it's kind of strange but okay but it's a really really good episode i okay I promise like, you that like there's you know like there's joker episodes the riddler episodes it's not a mad stan episode but he's part no, of some but he, let me guess he's part of someone else's plot probably yep okay okay Th- then that's fine that's fine cool um is there anything else you want to say about this one because i have like one more note here no just i I hate this episode. I don't. It should never should be made. It never should have been made. So fuck this episode. Oh boy. Um, I think the last thing I want to say here is something that it's it's briefly overheard. It's it's almost not even worth mentioning, but I do have to bring it up. After the big explosion that just completely destroys the sewers, there's a reporter on the scene, and she says something to the effect of uh, that there were no fatalities. But mm-hmm. what about Patrick? I mean, did Dana and Batman not say that there was a rat boy down there? Or are they just not counting him? I mean, what's going on there? Okay, well, first off, Terry wouldn't be able to say anything because then he would be revealing... Well, I didn't say Terry. I think if I said Terry, I meant... I'm sorry. I meant Dana and Batman. Yeah, uh, well, Dana probably didn't want to say anything to anybody after what she had just gone through. Um, And as for Batman, I don't know. Okay, well, yeah, right, Batman's not going to go talk to the press, that's fine. But you'd still think that Dana's going to tell the... She's got to explain where she was, that she was kidnapped by someone. So she mm-hmm. has to explain that this guy's probably just died. I just I just didn't like the line, yes, I'm nitpicking, but the line is still there, it's still said, and he clearly dies. Batman only gets out because he has rocket boots. Even if Patrick jumped into, like, some tunnel or something, the explosion was going to follow him. It followed Batman out of the tube he left through. Yeah, knocked so, Dana out, too. Yeah, so, yeah, he's he's dead, and, well, good. You know, it's good that he's gone. I, I just wish... Amen! <laughs> I, I just wish they would have said, like, I don't the victim survived, or something like this. This way, they didn't have to say that Patrick died, but it is implied. You're a gifted girl, Tamara, just like me. While others can only tap into 10% of their brains, we can go deeper. It's what separates us from them. The brain trust will make you see that. Together, people like us will change the world. I don't want to change the world. I want my mommy and daddy. (sighs) Don't even think of trying to call him. It would be useless at this point. Remember, we can hear you too. Next up is Mind Games. In this one, the episode starts out with uh, Batman. He's flying over Gotham in the Batmobile, and there's a, there's a thunderstorm, correct? Yeah? Yes. And uh, as, as he's flying over the city, uh, he passes another car, 
and that car is uh, struck by lightning. Uh, it's it has an emergency landing, of course, and uh, he flies over there to check on everybody to see if they're okay. And out from the car steps a very he-man-looking blonde guy. That doesn't mean he's nude in a loincloth. That just means he's big and burly. B- he's got a built like him. Yeah, he's sort of got a bowl cut going on too. Um, there's also a, a creepy-looking dark-haired mother and a very creepy-looking uh, young girl. Uh, Batman says, "Hey, are you guys okay?" And they're like, "Oh yeah, we're fine. Don't worry about us." As he's getting ready to hop back in the Batmobile, uh, the little girl uh, chances a look at Terry, but there's nothing he can do. They, you know, they're not in any danger. They're all safe. So he just flies off to go find some some criminal to punch in the face. Well, the next day at school, he's taking uh, a, I think like a U.S. history test or something like that. And as he's sitting there at his computer terminal, he sees the little girl walk up to him in the middle of class, saying, "I don't want to go. Help me. I don't want to go. Help me." And it quickly becomes apparent that the little girl is not there. This is all happening in his head. So uh, later on, he is in the cave with Bruce, and he's trying to explain what uh, was happening here. And as that's going on, she uh, appears in his mind again. But this time, she warps, seemingly warps reality around him, so he doesn't see himself in the cave. He actually sees himself in the apartment where she is staying. Uh, what happens is he's, you know, cause, uh, there, she's in his mind still. And the father, the father's like, oh, she's doing it again. She's doing it again. So he literally walks through Terry cause he doesn't see Terry there. And, uh, he goes to have words with this little girl and that snaps Terry out of this, uh, out of the psychic plane. Um, Terry is able to figure out where the little girl was staying based off, uh, some letters that were, um, What's the word I'm looking for? Embroidered? Yeah. On on a pillow. So he goes to like Gotham Park Towers or something like that to uh to to see what's going on there. And when he gets in there, that's when he gets into a fight with uh the, the He-Man like dad. He's snooping around the house. Of course, no one else is there. He thinks no one else is there, and the the, the, the quote unquote dad shows up and kicks the shit out of Terry. This guy, there's more to him than meets the eye. Um, as they're fighting, Terry accidentally kicks the guy out a window, and he plummets to his death. Oh, no, he doesn't plummet to his death. Dun, he dun, dun. gets right back up. As I said, he's He-Man. He gets right back up. He just dusts himself off, and he walks away. So at this point, Terry goes back to the cave, and Bruce puts him in some sort of contraption that will tap into his... Uh, basically his subconscious. And all Terry has to do is think about the little girl that he saw and the computer, which is running through a whole bunch of photographs of missing girls, um, will then link up with Terry's psyche and go, oh, okay, there you go. That's that's the girl we're looking for. Um, and pretty quickly, they, they come across the girl that's missing. Uh, Tamara is her name. And uh, Terry ends up going to... Is it Terry or... It's Batman. Batman goes to the girl's real parents' house. It turns out they're they're dirt poor. They are so poor, and uh, their girl had special abilities, as we've said. You know, she's she's psychic, so they couldn't do anything for her. They couldn't help her out. They couldn't send her to the special schools. Well, one day, two people showed up and say said, "Hey." Entrust her to us, let us be her guardians, and we'll give her the education and the training that she needs. The parents said, okay, you know, we're trusting you with our daughter. 
But it turns out the whole school was a scam. What's really going on is that uh, He-Man and the creepy old woman uh, are part of something called the Brain Trust. And basically, they're going to uh, abuse this girl, uh, or abuse her powers, I should say, uh, and, and use them to, her, to their uh, nefarious advantage, of course. Um, meantime, Terry goes to his actual school. This is where we find out that the school is bogus. And he has... A knockdown, drag out fight with some fat albino psychic guy, <laughs> which is awesome. <laughs> yes, it is. But we'll get into that in a little bit. So later on, Terry is back in his apartment, and he's he's in his bedroom, and he gets another psychic message from Tamara, and uh, she's trying to tell him, you know, I, I really need help right now, but I, I it's hard for me to communicate because they can hear me. Um, so. He's like, well, you have to show me where you are. So she uh, conjures up uh, a porthole. Uh, she reveals that she's on a boat, but she she doesn't know exactly where the boat is located. In fact, she's, Terry's like, where are you? She, she says a boat. He's like, where's the boat? She's like, on the water. And it's a real funny kind of a honest line that a kid would give. It was really smart writing, if you don't mind me saying. But anyways, she ends up conjuring up this porthole, which when Terry looks through it, he can see what she sees, and he sees, like, Pier 7 or something like that. So he knows exactly where she is. He goes to the boat to have his final throwdown with He-Man and the creepy woman whose name... Oh, what do they, they call the creepy woman? Bombshell. Bombshell, right. Because what she can do is she can basically snap her fingers or clap her hands or something and create these sort of uh, psychic telekinetic uh, explosions. And uh, like I said, he just has a big final fight with them. And uh, he saves the little girl. Like, that's pretty much how this one ends. Um, so, thoughts, James? I love this episode. Yes, <laughs> it's a, yes, yes. It's a nice turnaround from that hideous previous episode. I thought it was kind of cool that they got Mara Wilson to do Tamara's voice since she played a psychic little girl in Matilda, which is a, it's one of my favorite, like, family movies that I, I'll just pop in and, you know, just, just to feel good, you know? I thought that was kind of neat with the little parallel there. And I love the character of Tamara. She's written so well. And I love I love the dynamic of, of her, of Terry and her fighting together to stop the brain, the two Brain Trust members. Yes, especially the end with the Teletubby-like stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Just it's becoming like a towering Godzilla thing and creeping everybody out. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then when she finally just unleashes her power, woo-hoo! Mm-hmm. There is some fantastic animation on her face with the veins bulging out in her head. And finally, she just unleashes the psychic attack that, I guess, blinds the guy permanently or something. It's just, it's really, it's creepy and cool. And damn it, I love this episode. (laughs) Yeah, because at first I wasn't sure if she just made him think he was blind or if he was really blind. But they show his eyes and they're completely white. Mm -hmm. So that gives you the indication that she messed with his head and really made him blind. Um, now just real quick, while we're talking about Tamara, you know who she reminded me of? Um, Ace. Thank you. Thank you. I'm so glad you saw that. I was watching this and knowing that Ace, if, if, if you people don't know who we're talking about, we're not talking about Ace, the robot. Ace is the robot, or, right? Or the dog. Oh, right. Or the dog, right. <laughs> uh, was it, was Ace the robot? Yeah, the Ace Ace Robot and the Royal Fresh Gang, right? We're not talking about that iteration of Ace. We're talking about Ace as seen in Epilogue. And in the the, uh, Wild Cards episode where she was first introduced. Okay, I knew we saw the Wild, uh, the, what are they called, the 
Royal Flush Gang. I must call him the Wild Flush Gang. Um, beforehand, but I couldn't remember if she was one of them. But regardless, knowing that she was working for Walt, they flat out say that. She was a... Where did they say she was? Was she captive of Cadmus or a captive of Star? Well, it it's... I think it's pretty much assumed it was Cadmus and then Joker kidnapped or, mm-hmm. or like, broke them out and then made them into his own image. Okay, but in Epilogue, I was watching part of it today. Oh, Epilogue. Just to confirm it. I, I think she she says who whoever it was that was training her initially. It was either Cadmus or Star. But let's I'm pretty say sure it was Cadmus, yeah. Knowing that Cadmus would was into some shady things that they basically created these people to begin with, right? Mm-hmm. Knowing that Waller has no problem cloning people, I have to wonder if Tamra is is a clone of Ace. She's got the same fucking powers, and they look identical. Mm. They, no, they've got the same powers. Tamra has extremely, extremely strong. <laughs> she's, she's very strong when it comes to psychic powers, right? She, she... It's getting to the point where she can mess with your head and take away your vision and make you see things that aren't really there. Remember, she made Terry see the porthole. She made Terry not think he was in the cave, that he was in the apartment. Ace, at least an epilogue, could do the same thing, but she was actually making the changes permanent. She wasn't making you think those things were changed. She was actually making those changes happen. Yeah, because her powers had evolved. Right. So I'm really wondering if they cloned Ace and now Tamara is like the, I don't know, the 14th clone of, of Ace. I don't know. I'm sure I... there wasn't that much forethought put into it, but when two characters have similar powers and look so identical to one another, there had to be something going on there. Most likely. And the thing with uh, Tamara is, if, you, if you're comparing her to Ace, you really have to think that Tamara is what Ace would have been had she not been had her powers not been abused had she not had her childhood taken away because Tamara is a very positive thinking person she mm-hmm. she she uh, she's not uh, helpless she she doesn't have a grim look on the world like Ace rightfully does and it's it's kind of neat because Tamara will probably end up having a life that Ace never could right but. I don't see how that would negate the idea that Tamara is a clone of Ace. Oh, I'm not negate. I'm not saying it negates it at all. I'm oh, just, okay. I'm just offering more, just further character characterization for Tamara. Okay, okay, yeah, you're right because that, that is what's going on there. She, I mean, she's kind of got that gloomy, um, uh, was it Wednesday Adams look about her. Mm-hmm. But you're right. She still is just a little girl at heart. You know, again, this goes back to that line that I said earlier, where Terry's like, "Where's the boat?" and she's like, "On the water." And mm-hmm. it's like, that is such a, a, a kid response. That That is absolutely something a kid would say. Um, and I, I, you you don't think Ace would say something like that, but you could hear Tamara saying something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, does, does Tamara ever come back? Because I'm really liking this character. No, I don't think she ever oh, does. I didn't but... like the last image we saw of her where she's like floating away. Hey, waving the sunset. Woo. I was like, that was a bit cheesy. It was sort of like they needed to fill an extra 15 seconds, but (laughs) whatever. It it didn't hurt the episode. It just made me cringe and go, Ooh, not good. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but going back to the, uh, the albino guy, that is actually, um, Edgar Mandragora, the son of Steven Mandragora, the guy who kills Huntress's parents in the DCAU timeline. Okay. So that's kind of cool. Um, it's, the only other time we see him is in the episode uh, Double Date with Green Arrow, and 
Huntress and uh, Black Canary in question. But I thought that was kind of neat because the, that whole scene where he attacks Terry and Batman, wow, that is that is some hellified animation right there. I will say, in my opinion, that that fight to date is the best fight we've seen in all of the DCAU. I can't speak of what's going to come in Batman Beyond or Justice League or any of that. I'm just saying from Batman the Animated Series to Superman to Gotham Knights to this point, best fight so far. I do not disagree with you, sir. It was intense. I really didn't know how Terry was going to win it. I like the fact that he basically won through sheer willpower. Yep. It was it was a very Green Lantern thing. Like, if I don't win this, if I don't just man up and concentrate, I am going to die. That's a very Green Lantern thing right there. He just, it just took everything he had just to center himself and get these very brief glimpses of this crazy psychic guy so he could take him down. And I mm-hmm. love that scene where, uh, uh, what did Terry do? Didn't he, what did he bat back at the guy? Oh, the cane, the sword cane. Yeah. He knocks it back and cuts off part of his hair, and that's when he starts to lose his concentration a little bit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and then he he has to fend off all kinds of other stuff being thrown at him. And the 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 close up shots of him just with this just you can see only half of his head, and he's just looking down like he's his eyes probably aren't open under the suit. It's just it's awesome. And then. He final, the way he finally defeats him, he strangles the guy. It's great. Yeah, I mean, but even before this fight, I was getting a very strong anime vibe from this episode. Um, I, I can't quite pinpoint what it was. It was sort of the design of Tamara and her not mom. The the you know what was her name again? Bombshell. Uh, Bombshell. Yeah, just something about their designs reminded me of some anime. But then when we got to that fight, I was like, holy shit, that is straight up out of an anime right there <laughs> with just the swirling wind and the psychic effects and everything's nonstop and it just keeps ramping up and ramping up and ramping up and you never know who's going to win. I, I, I said it before, I'm going to say it again. I really thought Terry could have lost that fight right there. Oh, yeah. And if he would have, I would have been like, that was a good fight for Terry to lose on, for him to yeah. die because... He really got his ass handed to him. <laughs> <laughs> the, I'll tell you, the other thing that sells that scene, maybe even more than the, the animation, is the music. Holy shit, that was some awesome music. Uh, I mean, I don't even know what more to say about it. It was just amazing. And then the scene after that where he's just he's walking through his house and he's kind of exhausted, there's some really cool violin music just in the background. It's a, it's a quiet scene, and... It's just Terry tucking uh, Matt into bed as you know his oh, blanket yeah. fell off, and and there's just this violin music going on behind it. It's just it's really cool. Those two scenes might have the best music to date in this series. Some, something I want to say about that scene with Matt there is um, this batch of episodes. I think they did good with the Terry Matt relationship. Oh um, yes, we're gonna especially get in, in the next episode. Is it the next one? Yeah, you're right. It is. Um, here, because think about it, whenever you see Terry and Matt, it's all, oh, you're an annoying little prick, get out of my room. That's the way he treats his little brother, okay? Um, but here, he, he's tucking him in because he's he's feeling bad about this little girl. At this point, he knows she's pretty much been kidnapped. She is potentially going to be abused for her powers, you know, and he's realizing that he and his family might not have a great life, but at least they have a better life than that little girl's gonna. 
and his brother is going to grow up to have a much more, we'll say, normal life than that little girl will, no matter who raises her, you know? And he's trying to take care of him there. And then again, in the next episode, there's just two short little scenes which show you that, yes, they, they might have that older brother, younger brother, get on each other nerves thing going on all the time, but they still love each other, especially Terry. He does realize that he is Matt's father figure from this point forward. I, I mm-hmm. really think they're doing a solid job with those characters. And now when they go back to the sort of uh, teasingness that I know we'll eventually see between the characters, I won't mind it so much because often it does get on my nerves. I was really waiting for that moment where you saw Terry kind of man up and take responsibility for his brother, and it happened here. So I'm fine with them going with the teasing from now on. Mm-hmm. Um, so sorry for my little so No, no, I, I agree completely. Um, I only have a couple other notes here. Did you happen to notice Annie? Yes, I did. Yes, I did. That was cool. Speaking of anime stuff. Yes. <laughs> that was, you, that was you, neat. It was. Did you notice who else was on the screen? Um, I didn't really see any of the other characters no uh models it, rather it was a uh, carrie kelly the the female robin, robin. The, the girl uh-huh. from uh, uh what was it tales of the dark knight Le- legends of the dark Knight. Legends of the dark knight right but here she had i believe it was brown hair instead of the red hair mm-hmm. um she has she's has a redhead isn't she yeah yeah, she is. But yeah, she was on there too, but it was nice seeing Annie. I was like, cool. That was a cool little nod to longtime fans. Mm-hmm. Um, but she is technically missing. Technically speaking, I, I guess so, yeah. I mean, in, in official records, I guess she would still be technically missing. I assume it's a file Robin snuck into the computer, you know, 80 years yeah, ago I, or something, you know? Yeah, you, I wouldn't doubt it. Yeah. Um, getting back to the animation. I just thought all around, not just during the fight, that this episode had just awesome psychic animations. Um, oh, God, again, yes. When she warped Terry's perception behind him and got rid of the cave and uh, made him see her apartment, when she just had the little porthole pop up on the side of his apartment, just everything they were doing. Because this is one of those episodes where if they did not nail the animation, if they didn't go... I hate the phrase, but if they didn't go 110% here, this episode, it's one where we would say it's good on paper, but failed in execution, but good on paper and excellent in execution because they literally got their best storyboardists, their best animators, their best everything working on this one right here. Oh, I I, I love this one so much. Mm -hmm. Really, the only, I think the only real flaw I have with this episode is the guy falling out the window and and living and because they the reason they give for it is mind over matter and that's bullshit there's there's no way a guy could fall 30 stories leave a crater in the pavement and walk away from it because of mind over matter right i'm there with you my major gripe with this episode comes in that same scene and that terry doesn't even try to save him right i mean he did kick him out the window but he you could just say Terry, Terry's not Bruce. Bruce knows his surroundings at all times. Remember what I said earlier, Terry's been doing this maybe six, nine months at most. He's still very green, you know, so he didn't realize that guy was going to go out the window and he doesn't even attempt to rocket boost down there and grab his ankle or something. He doesn't shoot the grapple line or anything. He just lets him fall to his supposed demise. And, I mean, Terry does look shocked, like, oh, no, but still... It was a convenient for the plot moment. Pretty much so, but 
they couldn't have a guy turn into street pizza in the cartoon, I guess. But I, mm-hmm. I also agree with you. You know, I'm willing to accept certain things, you know, because they did say mind over matter. That's fine. The guy's super strong because he believes himself to be super strong. But can he believe himself to survive a fall like that? Mm, I don't think so. The incident at the pier, it left you with some kind of psychokinetic ability, didn't it? A gift from my friend the golem. Everyone thinks you're a ghost. It's all they talk about. I know. I'm the hero of the school. And that's not half of what I can do. Then why not just bust out of here? Do what you want. Because everybody would know. In two months, I'll be gone from here. I'll have all this power and a normal life. If you don't trip on me, I know how to keep a secret. You better. I know where you live. Next up today is the episode called Revenant, or maybe it's Revenant. I know it's a French word, so I don't know. Um, Anyway, a bunch of strange events are happening at uh, the high school, and uh, all the students seem to be chalking it up to the ghost of a former student who was killed when they were building an addition onto the school. Uh, Well, Dana, Chelsea, and some other girls uh, sneak into the school's gym that uh, that night to play Ouija to contact his uh, spirit, I guess, and... Nelson happens to come into the gym, and in his usual asshole manner, he kicks their board away. Well, the board starts hovering and then flings itself into Nelson's head, uh, and all, then all, all sorts of shit starts happening. The bleachers start getting torn off their grounding, the walls start collapsing, and all manners of other stuff. And it all seems to be focused on Nelson, who's getting the brunt of all this, of all this punishment. And, well, Terry is flying around the school doing his own investigating, um... And he sees the lights going haywire in the gym, so he busts in and saves Nelson's sorry ass. And uh, later on, Terry's describing what happened, all the stuff that happened at the school to Bruce, and Bruce is pretty skeptical about it being a ghost, even though he admits to believing in magic and having seen pretty much all there is to see, including but not limited to demons, immortals, zombies, witch boys, whatever. <laughs> I love the little witch boy. Mm-hmm. That was nice. Nice little throw in there. Mm-hmm. Um, so back at the house... Um, Matt is talking about uh, ghosts, and he says that they should use the Ouija board to contact their father, Warren. Yeah, this causes a really uncomfortable, quiet moment for both Terry and Mary, who have to shoot down Matt's idea, uh, because he is gone, and he's not going to come back. Um, Well, at the school next day, the girls are showering in the locker room, and the showers start going haywire, and in another room, there's a message uh, sprayed on a mirror that says, I still love you. Well, when Terry learns of the incident from Dana and that Blade was the person uh, to whom it seems the message was written, um, he, with the help of a computer, figures out that the thing that connects both the attacks on Nelson and the stalking of Blade is none other than Willie Watt. Oh, yay. (laughs) Yay. (laughs) So anyway, Terry goes to visit Willie at at Juvenile Hall, and the guard there is pretty surprised – since no one, not even Willie's father, has ever come to visit him since he got there. And in fact, he remarks, the prisoners are all afraid of him. So Terry is obviously taken aback by this, that anybody could fear little Willie Watt. But he sees that Willie has actually bulked up and gotten rid of his glasses. And they start talking for a minute, and Willie mentions that he'll be out on parole in a couple months. Well, Terry says it's just in time for the prom, and Willie remarks that they'll have to fix the gym first. Well, there's no way Willie could have known about that, and Terry calls him on it. So Willie lies and says that someone visited and told him, but Terry says, uh, the guard said that you never get any visitors. So Terry hurls a glass of water at Willie to uh, 
to confirm his suspicions, and instinctively, Willie stops the glass in midair with his new psychokinetic powers. Um, the guards see this on the monitor, and they burst in, but Willie easily escapes. So Bruce and Terry uh, somehow get Barbara to shut down the school for fear of an inevitable attack by Willie. And indeed, uh, as Nelson's leaving, uh, Willie appears and causes Nelson to drive his car full speed into the school. Um, Nelson challenges Willie to a fair fight, and he actually holds his own for a minute, but Willie goes back on his word, starts using his powers to gain the upper hand. Batman jumps in and tries to use a tranquilizer gun to uh, to stop Willie, but he easily destroys it. And Terry is pretty much overmatched here, but Willie ends up losing his temper, and he causes a massive tornado which rips a tree out of the ground and knocks and hits him right in the face, knocking him out. And Willie is returned to Juvie and fitted with a helmet that blocks his powers, and he's left alone pretty much forever. So back at Terry's house, uh, Matt and Terry look at uh, some old photos, and Terry says that your loved ones are never gone as long as you remember them. That's pretty much it. Yeah, the only thing I think I would add is at the dinner table scene, uh, the reason Matt wants to conjure up his father um, is because he's kind of he, he says he's forgetting what his dad was like mm-hmm. and that adds more of the oh heartbreak to that whole moment oh that was you know i'm watching this episode and i'm like okay it's a ghost story whatever who's going to be revealed to be the invisible man that's what i was thinking i was thinking mm-hmm. it's gonna be an invisible man you know and then all of a sudden it's like because they we hit can, you with that yeah it's like we, we, let's get a ouija board so we can talk to dad and i was just like Oh, shit. (laughs) Like, oh, okay. Uh, This one's a little more serious than I thought it was going to (laughs) be. Which is nice, because I'm glad they added that that in there and made this a a more enjoyable episode, I think, with that little, just just that little scene. It's because it's really a very heartbreaking scene, because you look at the look on Matt's face, and it's just like, oh, that poor kid. Yeah, because, again, this goes back to something I had said earlier about Tamara, about her dialogue being honest. That is something I can imagine a little kid saying. He doesn't understand. I mean, he understands death, but when he hears that there's a ghost haunting his big brother's school, and you could maybe talk to it. Oh, that means maybe we could talk to daddy. You know what I'm saying? He's going to have that kind of thought process. And then to see the shocked and heartbroken look, or looks, I should say, on his mother and brother's face, that's what really made the scene for me was just like, ooh, how how are they going to deal with this? What are they going to tell him, you know? Just mm-hmm. all around, that scene lasts maybe 30 seconds, but it means so much to the McGinnis family dynamic. And then the way they ended the episode where they're going through the family vacation photos, and Terry, as you said, says, oh, you know, he's never dead as long as you remember him here, and he points at his chest and here and at his head. You know, he's never gone. And then he says, or maybe it's here or here or here. And he starts tickling his little brother, you know, and I thought it was a really great beat to end on Mm -hmm. Um, because, again, in total, all this lasts maybe 90 seconds, those two scenes. Mm -hmm. And for me, that really raised this episode up by a point or two because it's it's an average episode. There's really nothing special about it except that, in my opinion. Not a yeah. bad episode, but that right there made it so much better. It made it memorable. Otherwise, it just would have been the forgettable return of Willie Watt. Yeah, because well, you got. I mean, yeah, you got to say that this episode is easily better than his debut in uh, Golem. Mm-hmm. So, 
at least there was that. But yeah, I love that. I love the dynamic. And um, truthfully, I think most of my notes here are just kind of superficial stuff, um, except for one big gripe I have. He's, Willie says that with good behavior, he'll be out in less than two months. After he tried to murder several people and caused God knows how many millions of dollars in property damage? It's Gotham City, you know? <laughs> I guess. <laughs> Two-Face has been let out. The Penguin's been let out. The... Right, but but Willie's not in Arkham, the revolving door. Uh, okay. Well, Penguin was never in Arkham. That's Remember, true. Penguin isn't crazy. And mm-hmm. he's always trying to kill people, and he's always out, and he's been let out. It wasn't just he escaped. We've seen him actually let out. Mm-hmm. You know, so... Yeah. <laughs> and, uh... yeah. Now, for me, my biggest gripe with this one was the fact that a kid died in Terry's high school, yet Terry, Batman, has no clue. I mean, this is a guy who's supposed to be up on everything, you know, and if he doesn't know it, Bruce knows it, and Bruce is going to tell him, but he doesn't know that a kid died in his high school. Um, I'm going to attempt to defend this because I think, I don't know if it happens in either the, the following two episodes we're covering today or if it's in our next, but there's actually a scene in, in, a, in an upcoming episode where uh, Max and Max is talking to Terry about stuff that's going on in the school, and she actually says, look, this is why I'm doing this, because if you don't re- realize what's going on in school, people are going to wonder what you're doing with your, your nights and everything. So I, for here, yeah, you got to question it, but I, they do kind of cover their asses later on. Okay, I, I see where you're coming from, but even then, it's one thing to not know that Blade is dating this guy. And so-and-so is feuding with so-and-so. And there was a fight in the lunchroom cafeteria. Mm-hmm. You know, that's one thing. But right. when a student dies in the high school, not just, oh, he died in a car crash. You know what I'm saying? That's right. different. He died in the school. And Terry doesn't know. That's a whole different level for me. That is something that Batman would just know. I really mm-hmm. feel that way. Um, I get you. And I, I understand what they were doing. They were adding a bit of exposition, but, you know, to explain what this ghost was supposed to be. But I, I didn't like the fact that Terry was not in the know. They could have had Terry in the know and still gave us the exposition. The, the, I, you know, I'm not going to rewrite it right here on the show, but it didn't need to be the way it was. I really felt. That I don't want to say it hurt the episode, but it made me sort of go, "Wait, what? Seriously? Like, mm-hmm. where?" Because I think they say, "Where have you been for two weeks, Terry?" And I was even like, "Yeah, where have you been? <laughs> you have to show up sometime." <laughs> <laughs> I did kind of find it strange that Batman just took down professional psychics literally the other day, and now he's having problems with Willie. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I was a little disappointed that this one followed Mind Games. Because Mind Games did such an awesome job with psychic and mental powers. And here, it's it was a bit of a letdown, really. This is just kind of a, a weird weirdness note that I have. A, a flagpole hitting the passenger side of a car apparently causes it to blow up. But <laughs> Nelson's car, going top speed through the front doors of the school into a wall, crumpling, does not cause it to blow up. Okay. 
I guess did, one of those one of those was a Pinto and one was I don't know a BMW or something. Did the flagpole sob? Did the flagpole really hit the door? Is that where it hit? Yeah, it hits oh, the side that, of the car. Oh, oh my god, I didn't notice that. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, I got to tell you, when I realized that the villain was Willie, what I wrote in my notes was no exclamation point. <laughs> <laughs> You were hoping it'd be Spellbinder or somebody, wouldn't you? I was really hoping it was either a real ghost or, as I said earlier, an Invisible Man type character. Um, or, yeah, throw in Spellbinder or something. Uh, I, I don't know, but to bring back Willie, and I knew he was coming back. Um, don't worry, was, he doesn't come back after this. Oh, good, 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 good. I was about to ask, too. I was just like, ugh. Though I will say I like the fact that he was beefed up. I mean, the dude's in jail. As he said, he's got to pass the time somehow. Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought that was a little interesting because it actually plays into the episode. It's not just, hey, I'm I'm Mr. Studley now with the psychic powers. I mean, when he and Nelson get into it, Nelson's like, no psychic powers. So Willie can actually hold his own in the fight. They actually used it for something. Mm-hmm. Of course, Willie cheats <laughs> yeah. in the fight. But uh, yeah, I, I'm glad it wasn't just a stylistic choice that they did uh, use it in the story there. But still, no, no, right. really. <laughs> I only have, I really only have a couple more notes for this. One of them is um, a line of dialogue that was uttered in the beginning of the episode by Chelsea. She says, uh, "He can haunt my castle anytime." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and the other one, on a kind of similar note, is a bunch of girls running out of the locker room in towels. Okay. I love Terry's reaction to that. He's like, why didn't I think of that? And I forgot. I think it's Dana. It's Talking like, about Invisible what? Man. Because <laughs> remember, Terry's got that invisible setting on his suit. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I thought that was a bit risque to show the girls in the locker room getting blasted with the water. And then they're on their towels and they actually run out into the school itself. Yeah, that was... Uh, a ballsy decision they made there. <laughs> <laughs> oh yes, 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 yes. Um, there actually, oh, there was another line that I liked uh, when uh, Terry is talking to Barbara when they're emptying the schools. You're a hero to my people. <laughs> yeah. That's something a high school student would say. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I, I really thought there were some animation flubs with this one. Especially in the beginning, all of the girls' faces looked extremely off. Um, I, I think it got better later on, but in the beginning, it was, I don't know, it was bothering me. And I know it's been a while since we had seen him, but Nelson looked a little off to me, too. In fact, I didn't even recognize it was Nelson until they said it. Um, but again, that could be simply because, if I recall, we have not seen him in a long time, right? Right. I mean, we get him in the next episode, don't we? No, no, we get him in... Shoot. He was not in Babel. We He's... get him in Terry's Friend Hates a Robot, yeah. So yeah. He, he does come back, but I don't remember the last time we saw him before this. I'm trying to look at our list here, um, and and I, I really don't know. Um, so if, if someone can go look at that and let me know if he is off or if it's, I just wasn't used to him anymore, that would be appreciated. Um, and lastly, I'm going to answer my own question, but I have to ask it anyways. In the scene where the girls are fiddling around with the Ouija board and they, you know, Nelson's in there and he's bothering them and blah, 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 and everything starts to go to hell, right? Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Well, it ends up being just Nelson and Batman in the room. Where did the girls go? Yeah, I don't know how they escaped. <laughs> now, last we saw the girls, they were standing by the exit. So, of course, we know they ran out the exit. But there was no line of Terry saying, leave. We, we, there wasn't even a hint that the girls were heading towards the door. It was really they were just standing in front of the door. They could have been standing in front of a fire extinguisher or a window or whatever. The door was just there. It's just what they drew in the background. I had to go rewatch that scene. It was sort of like, remember uh, with the one with uh, the not Swamp Thing guy? Mm-hmm. And we said, where did Dana go? Right. She just disappeared. It was the same thing again. The girls just disappeared. And I, I, I literally had to watch that scene over again to see if I blinked and missed something or what. But no, they just they just rode them out of the scene. Um, and I thought it was a bit interesting that Terry just chucked Nelson out the window. Because um, those pads that he wrapped him in, not that thick, I got to tell you. <laughs> no, they're not. <laughs> I mean, they're heavy. But they're really not that thick, and it wasn't like a one-story fall either. It was they were like an three or four. <laughs> you know he was doing that on purpose, though. Oh, totally he was. But I'm sitting there thinking, Terry, he's got the enhanced strength of the suit. Why doesn't he just fly out the window with Nelson? You know, he's he's grabbed Nelson before. Think about it. The last time we saw Willie, he was on the the grappling line. Remember, and he grabbed him and he swung with him. So it's not like mm-hmm. he can't hold the guy. But no, he just chose to throw him out a window. <laughs> Well, he actually kind of sets that up earlier by saying it has a great line where he says, I can't believe I'm about to say this, but Ghosty, if you want to get Nelson, you have to go through me (laughs) or whatever he says. And and that's another thing. Terry gives away his identity way too often, or I should say little hints towards it, because really by saying that you're pretty much stating that you go to that high school and you got a beef with that guy. Not smart. Gordon. It's Shriek. I shut off the interference so you could hear this. I'm willing to give the city back its sanity permanently in exchange for Batman's life. Batman? There's no way I can... Tonight. Midnight. Hill Square. If he's not there, things will get even worse. You're out of your mind. Duh. Next up is Babel. In this one... Uh, pardon for the short synopsis here, but I can't remember the beat by beats. But basically what happens is uh, Shriek is back in town. Um, he is indeed deaf. The only way he can hear is if he is in his, uh, that you know, that kind of white and black outfit that he wears. Um, and he wants revenge on Batman for making him deaf. Uh, so what he's doing is, He's messing with the air molecules in Gotham City so that they're not transmitting sound and language uh, the way they normally would, making it so that nobody can understand a damn thing that anybody else is saying, um, which, of course, causes havoc, uh, there's panic, there's people fighting in the streets. Um, and he says, you know, give me Batman. He says this to the police. He says this to Gordon. Or... Um, the next time I take away your language, it's going to be deadly. And it turns out what he's going to do is he's basically going to turn up the intensity of this thing and just uh, blow up people's eardrums and fuck with their brains. And, you know, you, you can die from intense pain like that. Um, so uh, Terry finds out where uh, Shriek is hiding 
And uh, he has to make a decision. Is he going to give himself up or is he going to fight? And uh, Terry ends up fighting Shriek to the end. Do we see Shriek again after this? Uh, I'm pretty sure we do. Okay. But, um, I mean, I know he survives because he makes a cameo in Epilogue. But Did he? Um, yeah, in, the, in one of those uh, kind of sort of made-up flashbacks okay. that Terry has. But, yeah, he, he makes a cameo there. But I want to say he comes back one more time in... Batman Beyond, I just, I can't say for sure. Okay, yeah, because I, I should note, when I was watching Epilogue earlier to make sure that Ace and Tamara looked the same, I was only watching the scenes with Ace. I wasn't watching anything else mm -hmm. around it. I didn't remember if uh, Shriek was in there. But I think you're right, because he, Terry and the JLA are fighting someone, aren't they? Yeah. Okay, yeah. So, uh, anyways, what are your thoughts about this one? I gotta say, Shriek is quickly becoming one of my favorite villains. I mean, I hope this isn't his last appearance because, I mean, he's really, he's got, he has a beef. I mean, you can understand why he wants to ruin Batman's life. Um, and I love his his method of, of attacking Gotham because it's, I mean, I'm not a religious person, of course, but I've always been enthralled by the story of the Tower of Babel where, where uh, Nimrod builds the tower tr trying to reach the heavens and, God strikes down and causes all the languages to be different, and and that's you know of course that's where they got the the title of this episode, but it, you know it's also like Rachel Ghoul's plan and my favorite story, my favorite JLA story arc ever, Tower of Babel, uh, where he he screws up everybody's speech and causes all kinds of havoc all over the planet. Um, so and I think actually that that story was published about four to six months after this episode aired. So that's kind of, it's kind of neat. Yeah. Um, I like, I, so I like that story and I like how they adapted it into this uh, Batman Beyond episode. I think this episode was only okay at best. I think it could have been stronger in regards to showing the chaos that was caused. Um, but I agree with you when you say that you can see where Shriek is coming from. Um, I mean, I'm not saying we agree with what he's doing. Because, mm -hmm. um, you know, he's got one of those uh, villainous... Okay, he's got that villainous attitude where he wants revenge on the hero or something the hero did to him. But he's seemingly forgetting that had he not been a douchebag to begin with, the hero wouldn't have done that thing that caused that thing to happen that he's mad about. Right. You understand? It's so, one, one bad decision. Right. I mean, it's it's Shriek that decided to be a bit of a jerk that caused him to lose his hearing at the end of the day, but he's blaming it all on Terry. But he still does have a right to be mad. He's just not taking it on himself. He's taking it out on the hero. Mm -hmm. um, so, so that's cool. Um, I, I, again, I like the fact the way they played with sound, uh, when she takes off his helmet, there's just that low buzz, like when your ears are sort of hurting after a concert. Mm -hmm. Um, I did like what they were doing with the languages, but again, I just felt that could have been a little stronger. I don't know what they could have done to made it stronger, but it, it just, it didn't, ooh, pardon, resonate the way it should have with me. Yeah. Like what, you know, they could have done like having a plane crash because the the tower couldn't communicate with the pilots or mm -hmm. something like that something yeah, they had, really what, disastrous or something it was it was just that little that flying construction equipment yeah. thing yeah i mean yeah it would have meant so much more if we saw something bigger needing to be saved 
Yeah. Um, and not the proverbial crane. Because we see that, we saw that in Superman. You know, we've yep. seen that before. They, they should have made it something bigger. Something that did irk me, though, was at the end, nearing the end, I should say, Shriek has his helmet off. And there's the tuning fork building collapsing around him. He can't hear that the building's collapsing. He can't hear Terry's warnings. But he should still be able to feel the vibrations yep. of the building falling down around him. And then he just gets buried in rubble. And that's the end of him. Yep. I, I, I'm like, that's it? You know, because I kept thinking something with that tuning fork was going to come into play. Because remember earlier, he gave that tuning fork to that junkie that's helping him out. Right. And then later on, the junkie has it again. It's in his teeth. It slips out of his mouth. And they do a close-up on it as if somehow that's going to save the day. You know, I mean, James, you're, you're going to know this. There's that whole thing where if you see the gun on the mantelpiece in the first act, it has to be used by the third act. Oh, yeah. You know exactly what I'm talking about. And they set this whole thing up with the tuning fork. Like, that's going to be the savior. That's going to be the thing. Not the suit, not the utility belt, not the rocket boots, not the back car, not Ace, not Bruce. The tuning fork is going to save the day. No. No. It's it's on the ground. They do a close-up of it, and the building collapses around it. I seriously think they had something in mind for the tuning fork, and then they just completely forgot when they animated it or got to the final draft or whatever. You're absolutely right because okay. it's just it's an animation flaw uh, in and of itself, and that's really why I noticed it because if you do a close-up of something like that, it has to come into play mm -hmm. because there was some Batman episode where that happened where they focused in on something and it never came into play. And I'll, I'll, there's no way I'll ever remember what episode it is, but I, that's it happened before. <sighs> I have a note here, and maybe you can help me with this because I can't remember what it was about. Mm -hmm. um, oh yeah, I know what it was. The Batman throwing the junkie into that computer caused the entire towers to <laughs> collapse. Only in the DCAU. Yes. You knock over a TV, explodes. You throw a flagpole at the side of a car, at a car door, nonetheless, it explodes. You throw a junkie into a computer, the whole building collapses. <laughs> yep. I didn't even pick up on that. It's awesome. <laughs> I can't believe I'd forgotten what that what that note was about. And then I was like, oh, fuck. The, the whole... I don't know. It's, uh, I don't know. It's uh, convenient for the plot, I guess. <laughs> that was weird. And I love that junkie, too. Rubbing the tuning fork on his head. Oh, oh, oh. I was like, no, stop, please. Wasn't that Michael Rosenbaum, too? I it was. I didn't check the credits. But when we first heard him speak, it sounded like him. But near the end of the episode, I, I don't think it was sounding like him anymore. But I'm not 100% sure it was him. It was him, okay. yep. Oh, yeah, so just hearing Mike Rosenbaum <laughs> being like, oh, oh, yeah, that, that's just creepy. <laughs> it is. I think really the only other note I have is, have we ever, 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 ever heard Bruce Wayne say, how? How did he do it? Think about it for a second. I mean, it's, it's the greatest detective in the world. And he's like, How? How? <laughs> oh, speaking of that scene, what did Terry do? He he figured out that the structure of the building was being used to, you know, amplify the signal. Okay, but he can't tell Bruce because the language is going funky again because Shriek has turned on the on his system, right? Terry's getting into the Batmobile and he makes some hand gesture at Bruce, but I can't tell what he's doing. 
Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. It looks like he makes a peace sign or something, but I, you're right. I couldn't tell what the what the hell that was supposed to be. Yeah, okay. Now, if he was making a peace sign, then clearly he's doing the forks of a tuning fork or the two towers of that building. That's fine. But my complaint there is that it's so dark. Because he's in the cave. He's wearing black. He's putting a black hand in front of a black face. While getting into the vehicle, you can't clearly see what he's doing. Hey, Drifty. You got a purpose? I'm here to pick up a special order. Ah, you want a custom job. Something like that little synthoid number over there? Sure, sure, yeah. I mean, can you? Oh, legally, no. But for the right price, I'd shave a coyote. Will this be enough? Oh, yeah. Tell me what you want, and I'll make it happen. Personality-wise, she's got to be completely devoted to me. 100% loyal. Physically, around 5'7". Red hair, medium length, and the coolest green eyes. And lastly up today is Terry's Friend Dates a Robot. That title isn't subtle at all. Um... (laughs) This episode opens with Terry in a training session with um, some synthoid robots uh, mimicking Bruce's old foes like Two-Face and Killer Croc and whatnot. And Terry just dispatches them all in a particularly violent manner because Bruce then tells Terry to go buy some more after school. Well, um, at school this the next day, this geeky, uh, geeky guy named Howard uh, tries to get some people to come to this party he's having at his house, but they all laugh at him and walk away, but it still doesn't seem to deter him because he still has this, this goofy-ass smile on his face. And Well, Dana and Terry agree to go, um, and Howard asks for a ride home from Terry because Terry has Bruce's car, and Terry says, sure, we just have to make a stop on the way uh, to your house. And Well, they go to this factory for making these synthoids, and while Terry is doing uh, doing the uh, business with the guy, um, Howard wanders off into another uh, part of the the factory where Steve Buscemi, I mean, I'm sorry, um, uh, Louis is making, this guy named Louis is make, illegally making, uh, it has, it's assumed that they're sex synthoids for some unnamed customer. And uh, Howard is amazed at this, and he, he gets this guy, Louis, to make him one so he can be popular at school. Well, the next day, this super hot chick is walking through the halls at school, and Nelson tries to hit on her, but she just blows him off and goes over to Howard and says that she only cares about him. Well, Nelson is none too pleased at this, and later he's in the locker room trying to find Howard to beat him up, I guess, and the synthoid, uh, unbeknownst to him, walks into the room, and uh, it should be noted that Howard uh, kind of named the uh, synthoid Cynthia. So Cynthia, quote-unquote, goes into the locker room and pushes the the walls of lockers over, and they start tipping over like dominoes, and they crush Nelson. And if not for him wearing his hockey pads, they say he would have been killed. Um, I, I call bullshit. Um, anyway, the next day, the gang is all talking about the incident, and uh, Cynthia coldly says that he deserved it, and Terry and friends are not very happy with her attitude. Uh, so... Terry goes to the locker room to investigate, and he finds some hand imprints on the lockers and notices that the hands are really, really small. And he also notes that there aren't any fingerprints on it. 
Well, Howard is now so popular, and people, you know, all these people want to go to his party, and Chelsea even offers him a dance. But uh, Cynthia is so obsessed with Howard that uh, while while Chelsea's flirting with Howard, uh, she actually breaks Howard's notebook computer and with her bare hands. So Terry notices this, and he decides to start investigating, quote unquote, her. And he finds her trying uh, later trying to push. I guess it was the logo of the school on top of Chelsea. And when he tries to stop her, she throws him off of the building. Um, somehow he survives, even though he falls several stories. It's never really explained how he fell so far and landed on his feet perfectly okay. But I digress. Uh, later that night, uh, as Batman, Terry goes to the Synthoid factory and finds Louis filling more illegal Synthoid orders. Well, he has to do battle with the Synthoids, but of course they pose no threat because... He's Batman, and he was fighting them earlier. And he stops the operation and leaves the guy for the cops. Well, at Howard's party, Cynthia continues to just shove away anybody who goes anywhere near Howard. And Howard ends up taking her up to his room to uh, try and calm her down. Well, she refuses to listen, and uh, when Howard says that he wants to see other people, the synthoid goes haywire and starts destroying shit right and left. Um, Maxine even jumps in to try and stop it, but it's far too strong for her. Um, Batman then arrives in the nick of time to save Max from getting crushed, and they duke it out for a while, but Batman's getting his ass handed to him for some reason. And Howard steps in and says that they can still be friends, which causes the synthoid to explode, and it destroys his house. Batman gets him out of there in the nick of time, drop, drops him out in the front yard, and Howard actually seems to be popular now with the, with the general populace of the school, but Chelsea just ignores him completely. And uh, his parents come home from vacation early, and they probably kill him since he blew up their house and maxed out his dad's credit card buying the synthoid. <laughs> the end. Okay, I, ju- I just want to repeat something we said while discussing the last episode, okay? When you knock over a TV, it explodes. When you throw a flagpole at the side of a car, it explodes. When you throw a junkie at a computer in a twin tower-like building, it collapses. And in this episode, when you tell a synthetic <laughs> lover that you just want to be friends, she explodes. Literally explodes. Yep. Oh my God. I mean, okay, first off, when you say I, we want to see other people, she goes haywire. But then when you deliver the dreaded we can be friends line, she blows up. So much so. It's not just a little explosion. The explosion is so big. It's, it's like, like a mushroom packed, cloud. It's like she's packed with dynamite. Yeah. <laughs> it's not like her little CPU just frizzles out or whatever vacuum tube is in her head or whatever pops. You know, No, she blows up a mansion. That's <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, <it's> awesome. <laughs> I, I don't know. Oh, I'm not saying the episode was awesome. I'm saying that was awesome. Yeah, uh, yeah, that was pretty funny. But wow, this episode is terrible. Yeah. Oh my god! You know, and just from reading the title, I was like, "Oh my god, this is going to suck <laughs> so much." Yeah. And it did not disappoint in that regard. <laughs> I was really hoping it was going to be Maxine who ended up dating a robot. You know, <laughs> I was really hoping they didn't introduce some new dweeby guy who was dating a robot. But, oh, no, that's what they did. And this is actually an episode that I had seen before. 
I just forgot the character they introduced. I, I just remembered that the the robot is, of course, the villain. And But that's really all I remembered about it. But I have seen this before, and wow, this episode is... It's just terrible. It, it's I, and there's I don't even know where to start. I don't know. I'm, I'm this. I'm guessing this was supposed to be one of those goofy fun episodes that they throw in there every now and then, mm. yeah, just to lighten the mood of you know some serious episodes they've been having. But it wasn't funny at all. Well, see, here's the thing. I'm going to give this episode a little slack because of that. It wasn't just trying to be funny. This was downright trying to be cheesy. The problem is they lost the cheesiness, and guess what? It became a Batman episode. We've said this before, where something is going in one direction, it's okay going in that direction, and then Batman shows up and mucks up the whole thing. And I think that's what happened here. When we were following around, uh, oh shoot, what was his friend's name? Howard. When we were following around Howard, and they were playing the kind of dopey music for him. and Oh yeah, the porno music. Yeah, and he wasn't quite getting that the popular kids weren't liking him. Like, you know, you feel sad for him, but he's, he's keeping the smile on, you know? So you're smiling with him. It's all good. But then, again... Batman's got to show up and the cheesiness goes away and it just becomes an action cartoon and it really lost something there once that happened. I mean, of course, Batman has to show up. I understand that. But I think there was a way to have him show up and still keep the cheesiness. There's this this one moment where Blade and some stoner guy are joking about Batman getting his butt kicked by a female robot. And if they would have kept up that level of humor while the fight was going on, I would grade this one higher, but because they were focusing on Terry fighting a robot and there wasn't a lot of real humor going on in that fight, that that's where it failed for me. I see where you're coming from with the whole they were going for a cheesy episode, but really the robot was violent from the very beginning. Yes. And it so it was it was a Batman episode like 12 minutes in. <laughs> so, yeah, there really wasn't much cheesiness to be had. Um and, and I've got there are so many questions I have here. Um, why why is buying dozens of these synthoids legal, but injuring one for um, whatever a lonely guy would want to use this thing for is illegal? Unless unless we're supposed to assume that it's a pimp buying these synthoids to whore out as prostitutes. That might be the case. Um, because you have to assume. You know what I'm. Th- this is what I'm thinking. I'm thinking you're not supposed to buy them with a skin. Because if you notice, when we see them in the factory, the ones in the background, they're just exoskeletons. You know, mm-hmm. Exoskeletons, is that the right word? But yeah. You know what I mean? They, they look like the Terminator without Arnold's skin over it, right? Right, right. So I'm wondering if when Bruce gets them home, he then dresses them up to look like the Riddler and Two-Face and Killer Croc, right? So right. I'm thinking that part is legal. It's sort of like... Um, What's that whole thing in Pulp Fiction where they're talking about Amsterdam and how you can smoke weed? There are certain things you can do and there are certain things you can't do. That's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking they're not supposed to sell it with a skin, but you can put the skin on it. So to sell a robot with a female skin and AI that makes her whatever sort of sexual slave, that's the illegal part. Because if they are artificial intelligence, then you are exploiting them. But then again, taking them home just to have them beat up is also exploiting them, so... There's kind of a big hole in my theory there, but we'll ignore that. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, going back to when I was doing the summary, Terry gets thrown off of the 
roof of the school and lands on his feet perfectly fine. Well, he the, the big H lands at an angle before he hits. So he right. hits it, he lands on that, and he slides down to the ground. So well, maybe landing on the big H helped him? I don't know. He didn't fall as far. The last few feet was a slide. <laughs> He's I think Batman. this explanation is kind of a slide. <laughs> oh, man. No, but it's like he falls at least, at least three stories onto that slab. Yeah. Whether he's sliding or not is pretty much irrelevant. Mm-hmm. You're still going to have your internal organs turned slightly to mush and your skeleton broken in several places. <laughs> and as far as this entire episode goes, didn't we see this in Superman, the animated series, with Toy Man? It was just less lighthearted there <laughs> by a long shot. Yeah. But still, it's the base, same basic premise here. Yeah, I knew we had seen this one before, and I could not remember where, so thank you for reminding me. Because I kept thinking back to Hardak, and I'm like, no, Hardak was never quite like this. But you're right, this this is pretty much Toy Man's Robot all over again. Yeah. I don't even remember what we scored that one. I'm not even going to look. No, <laughs> I'll let was... someone write in and tell me. I don't care. Now. <laughs> I'd like to know why nobody thinks that this private buyer buying so many of these synthoids is kind of peculiar. Because that's Bruce Wayne's name on these on these invoices. People would have to question why an 80 or maybe a 65, 70, 80 year old man is buying all these synthoids. Because what does Terry say? Oh, you know old people, they break stuff. Like, no, they break their hips. They don't break robots. God. Um, Jesus. In regards to those robots, though, yeah, that opening sequence, yeah, fan service. Mm-hmm. Oh, look, Terry's fighting the Riddler and Two-Face and Killer Croc. Yay! Oh, that was clearly them just trying to get a ratings boost, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't be yeah. surprised if when they were doing the promos for that cartoon, they showed nothing of the robots and they just showed Terry fighting those three villains. And yeah. that, it's not a lie, it's just not the truth, you know? <laughs> <laughs> no, and actually, on the the DVD case for the season two uh-huh. of Batman Beyond, actually Killer has Croc. Terry fighting Killer Croc. I, I saw that, and I was like, okay, either Killer Croc is somehow still alive, or that's someone who just looks like Killer Croc. And no, it was a robot that looked like Killer Croc. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> um, did you notice? Now, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I have to pop the DVD back in to double check this. But did you notice the flub in the credits? No, what? Okay, what was uh, Howard's last name? It was like Groot or Grout, wasn't it? Uh, it was Grout, I believe. Okay. Or Groot, yeah, G-R-O-O-T-E. Okay, Mr. Groot was voiced by Dan Castaneda, Homer Simpson. Mm-hmm. Okay, very minor role. It seemed kind of weird to bring him in just for that. But the point is, in the credits, he's not listed as Mr. Groot. He's listed as Mr. Brooks. The problem is, Max Brooks is the name of the actor who played Howard. So, but What the fuck? Now, I could be wrong. I could be wrong, but I could swear that's what I saw. I'm looking I'm looking online right now, and everywhere I look, it credits him as Mr. Groot, not Mr. Brooks, because that's accurate. But I know I saw that it said Brooks in the credits. It's such a weird little thing, because I was like, wait, was his name Max all along? And then I double-checked, like, no, his name was Howard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
I think the only other thing I have to say about this episode is, Jesus Christ, how many sexual innuendos were in this episode. That whole, like, last scene there is just about Howard going to fuck the robot, which nobody at that point knows is a robot. <laughs> like, Blade's like, wow, go Howard. <laughs> After hearing all the banging and shit going on. <laughs> it's like, oh, God. Oh, no, it's a horrible image. <laughs> Uh, is there anything else you want to say about this one? Nope, like I said, that was it. Let's score these then. What? Oh boy, I'm afraid to ask, are you going to give rats? You know, if it weren't for Mad Stan. Oh, if it weren't for Mad Stan, this would get the zero, but I'm giving it a one. <laughs> oh, I'm, you know, I'm going to give this one a four. I may have to revisit this one down the line, keeping in mind a lot of the points you made. Um, mind games. I'm giving this one a 9, and the reason it gets a 9 is, of course, the guy falling out the window, and it's you know it's just not classic or memorable enough to warrant a 10, even if that hadn't happened, mm -hmm. but it's still a really, really, really good episode. You know what, I'm going to give it an 8 for all the reasons you just said. Um, maybe it should be a 9, maybe, uh, you know, again, I will come back to it, but for right now, that's going to stay an 8. Uh, Revenant, what are you going to give this one? I'll give that a 6. I agree. Uh, let's see. Babel. Babel, I will also give a six. That one is going to get a five from me. And lastly, Terry's friend dates a robot. Two. <laughs> oh, boy. That one. Um, uh, I'm going to give it a four. I know that's being generous, but it's what it's getting. Sway party, Howard. It takes real guts to blow up your own home. Yeah. Kids are going to talk about this night for years. You're a legend. Yo, Chelsea, I saved that dance for you. Huh. Get a life, toy boy. Feedback in the form of emails and MP3s can be sent to feedback at worldsfinestpodcast.com. That's feedback at worldsfinestpodcast.com. Next time on World's Finest Podcast, we'll discuss five more episodes from Batman Beyond. Those being Eyewitness, Zeta, The Last Resort, Final Cut, and Armory. For James Doe, I'm Michael David Sims saying thank you for listening to World's Finest Podcast. Mm -hmm.